I'm Anna Bogutskaya. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is The Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. In this episode, a famous murder victim visits the house while Constance learns of Tate's bad behaviour. I don't know why I said that so, like, dramatically. Bad behaviour. I think it's appropriate uh, considering what his bad behaviour is. Yeah, it's pretty bad. To start yeah. off, kind of like we mentioned at the end of last week's episode, this whole episode is a big insensitive historical reference. Yeah, should we just, like, we know this is coming, so I think let's just award it now. Yeah. So we can talk about it. I mean, it's the first scene. We start with a flashback to 1947, and we meet Elizabeth Short, who's played by 90s, early 2000s teen icon Menesavari, who most people will recognize from the American Pie franchise. And who was Elizabeth Short for people who might not recognize that name? Well, aka the the Black Dahlia, who yeah, is one of the most famous murder victims of all time. Do we want to explain what happened now or do we want to say describe the scene a little bit? Cuz I feel like it's very weird and interesting how they kind of slowly reveal that she is the Black Dahlia. Go for it. Well, so we have so this is we have a different doctor. So this is a bit confusing because it's not Charles. This is a a completely different doctor called Dr. David Curran. Yes. Who uh, Oh, you've written in your notes. This is someone I don't know, but you you know this actor. Well, as you know, I'm a big fan of character actors from television series. <laughs> and pride myself on being able to recognize them in other random series where they appear and dr david curran who is a the the dentist who treats elizabeth short is played by joshua molina who uh appears has appeared on almost every single big american tv show of the last like 15 years but i know him mostly from playing a quite key role on scandal and that that that's my contribution to this. Very good, very impressive. I had no <laughs> idea who he was. I'm sorry. <laughs> For a second, I thought he was Charles Montgomery, and I was very confused. But then <laughs> it's fine. I sorted it out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so she goes to to Doctor Curran, uh, and and he puts her under, and sexually assaults her, and. And discovers that he has accidentally killed her in the process because I mean I don't know it's too too much he there's too much laughing gas or I don't I they're kind of unspecific about exactly how he killed her I think I think it's the the laughing gas yeah I well that's the thing I didn't know you could die of it that made me like very nervous suddenly because <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just like I don't know but anyways uh so she's dead. And up pops Charles Montgomery, which is how I figured out that, that Dr. Curran was definitely not Charles Montgomery because Charles Montgomery appears. 
and he says don't worry i'm a surgeon i'll sort this out <laughs> uh, which your brain at this point should immediately be thinking oh no mm-hmm. something bad's about to happen uh and so uh a wonderful charles montgomery cuts her up and ta-da we get the black dahlia murder scene because very like the very famous thing about the black dahlias is the way she was found was Mm. utterly horrific i mean she was horribly mutilated all the blood was drained out and she had a a smile sort of cut into her her face i guess like like the heath ledger joker to make an obvious comparison the glasgow smile they call it Oh yeah, Glasgow smile, yeah. Uh and so basically we're getting the explanation that that it was Charles Montgomery who did it because they never found her murderer. Yeah. And and so American Horror Story is saying, Hey, it was <laughs> it was the ghost of a <laughs> of a twenty surgeon who went crazy on a was that also a, no, you had a different kind of gas that he was He puffing. was into opium. Yes, opium. Mm. It was an opium-addicted surgeon, but the ghost of an opium-addicted surgeon well, didn't kill Black Dahlia, but disposed of the body. That was very confusing, I'm sorry. (laughs) I do wonder if this is the first moment... I mean, it certainly is in the history of American Horror Story, but I wonder if it's the first moment in the oeuvre of Ryan Murphy, that he rewrites Hollywood history for the purposes of his own kind of fictional world building. And it's one of it's one of the things that I think irritates his critics the most. It's easy to see just in the reviews of his latest efforts, the the Netflix series Hollywood. But it was always as someone who is has always been obsessed with Hollywood history. It's something that I've always found quite endearing about his work. The fact that he finds ways to integrate these infamous stories from old Hollywood into his work. I I like it as well. I feel like when it's dealing with something as sensitive as the Black Dahlia... But it's hard because the whole case around the Black Dahlia was so sensationalized. Mm. And it became such a media circus that... It's it's sort of desensitized itself in a way. Um, I mean, like when I was much younger, like I dressed up as the Black Dahlia on Halloween, and I realize now like how horrifically insensitive that is. But it's because like the whole culture around this murder case has been, yeah, completely sensationalized mm. to the point that you don't think about Elizabeth Short. Like her name has kind of been eradicated from mm-hmm. her own story. Like the fact that she is just the Black Dahlia and it's it's like mysterious and, and you know, the the sort of Hollywood allure and, and there's all the stories about her her interactions with Marilyn Monroe and and her sort of journeys around Hollywood. So it's yeah, it, it's sort of interesting that he uses her because like I I kind of on the one hand go I cringe a little bit and I go ooh should should we be doing that but then on the other hand it's like I get it because that's that's what the Hollywood the Black Dahlia is now a Hollywood myth it's not really a it's sort of become detached from the real murder case. Hmm. 
No, I see what you mean. And I do think that the fact that he uses her name first and foremost, her name, Elizabeth Short, more than the much sensationalized Black Dahlia name, I think it's sort of a, a subtle way of, even though, you know, he's rewriting history. And obviously this is for the purposes of entertainment. And obviously she was not murdered by this fictional dentist, but it is a way kind of of, of creating a, a person and not just focusing on the on the crime scene. Yeah, that is that is a good point of I think Yeah, that is a good point actually of, of using her real name so we're sort of reminded of the the person behind the crime. And she is presented as someone who is quite sad in a sense in the sense that she sees herself as only being able to offer her body you know she tries to exchange sex for going to the dentist and shall we move on to her further interactions yeah let's do it let's just do the whole bite dahlia she also goes to meet ben for therapy um you know not the first time that he's had a ghost as a as a client go ben Harmon, terrible therapist but she clearly has no money to pay him and the only thing that she the first and only thing that she can think of to offer is her body and she is so kind of desperate for attention and kind of that's sort of the reason why she goes to therapy as well and still that's her go-to solution for any situation and I think that's kind of quite um quite a point in a way to to talk about how this woman sees herself and I guess it's picking up on something we keep seeing in this season and I guess in American Horror Story as a whole like he's clearly Ryan Muffin's clearly very interested in in sort of the ways like ideas of beauty and how how that turns women into objects and how it kind of it drives their sense of self-worth because you can see a lot of connection between Elizabeth Shaw and and someone like Constance Mm. and how she views herself and how she uses her sex and her beauty to to I guess create a different kind of currency because she's very much in a a position of power Mm -hmm. so she uses it to to sort of like that's her way to get control of men but Elizabeth Short like doesn't have any of that power so she's sort of using her beauty and her sexuality in a in a different way Mm -hmm. and that's a good segue to talk about Constance and Hayden and Travis who comes back in this episode we haven't seen him for a while oh poor Travis (laughs) and Constance is super fucking mean to him she is so so cruel to poor baby Travis Travis just wanted to he's just out there walking the dogs making sure they don't poop on the floor doing all these things for her and what does he get in return (laughs) nothing cruelty so he then as he's walking the dogs um I guess accidentally sleeps with Hayden next door because she whistles at him 
I feel like we can't say accidentally. It's not like he tripped and he's like, oops. (laughs) Well, do you know what? It was edited in that way. It was like, oops, oh, Soz, I'm inside you now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the thing with Travis is that he's very much like like the young guy. He's kind of like, he's got a bit of like a little little babyish attitude to him um like he's very immature Mm. and and yes that's likable in a lot of ways because he's quite sweet and caring but like on the other hand like he's so hurt by constance being mean to him that he's immediately like yeah i'll have sex with this lady like it's such a a sort of kind of yeah i don't know like a little tantrumy thing to do is because yeah he this woman was mean to him he's like well well i'm gonna have sex with this this ghost lady so see how you like that and then and also he's like straight after they have sex he's like oh i think i'm in love with her it's like oh and this is your thought process <laughs> Travis. like i'm just gonna have sex with this random woman but then oh i really love constance yeah he's mm. pretty dumb <laughs> um i also yeah. like it's funny that obviously like Hayden is quite visibly clearly dead, I would say. Like <laughs> we see her and she's got like she's so pale. She's like covered in all these weird bruises and marks and like just very dark circles under her eye. Like she's she's quite ghoulish looking. And the fact that I don't know, I just think for the fact that Travis doesn't comment on it and notice it, go like, Are you okay? You're you're covered in dirt and bruises. And he just has sex with her and then goes off about how he loves Constance. Like, he's not a smart boy. No, but he's very pretty. So let's not forget about that. Yeah. And he's sort of, (laughs) he is quite sweet in a lot of other ways. I quite like Travis. Yeah. And then there's a... There's quite a, a, I think, quite a a nothing confusing scene where Hayden's sister, we never knew she had a sister, shows up with a missing detective, with the missing person's detective. Do you want to say anything about this scene? Because I got nothing. It's just weird. Sure. Well, yeah, the, the sister and the police come in and they're like, hey, Hayden's disappeared. We know that. Would they know that Hayden is pregnant and and that Ben was the father? So they go, well, you're pretty obviously a suspect in this situation. And Ben's like, uh-oh, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and then Hayden just appears out of nowhere like, hi, guys. <laughs> Everyone freaks out quite naturally. And that's just sort of where they end it. I think that's the weird part is that it's like, here we go. Hayden's alive. She's like, I live here now with Ben because we're in love. And then the sister and the police just go, (laughs) okay, well, that wraps that up. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Like, the whole point is that, like, Hayden has been uncontactable because she's dead. And the sister has been worried sick about her. And so they just go to California and she's there and it's fine and... That's it, and they never mention it again? It makes no sense. Like, why even put that scene in there? It, like, achieves nothing. (laughs) It contributes nothing. I get that it maybe wraps up the, the, like, 
the murder aspect of it. So now Ben is under no suspicion because Hayden yeah. is alive. And it also illuminates a little bit of her motivations because she really in this episode, her whole vibe is I want to live happily ever after with Ben because I still love him for some reason. I mean, so it's we'll useful narratively understand. in that sense. <laughs> But in terms of, like, the reaction of the sister and the police is baffling to me. <laughs> I mean, that just kind of sets up, I think, one of my favorite scenes of this episode. And it's only my favorite thing because I will get to say the sentence that I've been dying to say for about three episodes now. So Ben gets a phone call from Vivian's doctor. And he finds out that there is such a scenario called heteropaternal superfecundation. And I am not a doctor, so I don't know if this is a real thing or if it's a made-up AHS thing. But let's buy it for a second. It's essentially a one in a million chance that a woman who is carrying two babies, twins in this case, the two babies are from different fathers. So Ben Harmon is in fact not the daddy. A dad or well, he's a daddy. Ben is a daddy. But not <laughs> the but daddy. You <laughs> think that this is a very important <laughs> distinction. It is important. He does not get the the title. You're not the daddy. There is no. another daddy out there. And that daddy is Tate. Daddy is Tate. Daddy Tate mm. it's a daddy. Tate <laughs> is a daddy. Not the daddy. A daddy. <laughs> Let's just make it very clear. Ugh. American Horror Story Murder House does not have any overall daddy. Yeah. There's just multiple daddies. There are the daddies. <laughs> they are the daddies. <laughs> they could come together into the scene and go, hey, we're the That's daddy. Like a super group. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the daddies. Oh my God. I feel like Tate um, would not be up so... for that though. No, and there's a great scene where Moira, so Constant confronts Moira because she thinks that Violet has been fooling around with Travis and she gets jealous. But Moira tells her that actually she isn't because she's super in love with Tate. But actually Tate is one of the daddies of one of Vivian's babies. And Constance just flips out on him i think it's a great scene because she literally kicks the shit out of him in the basement where he apparently lives yeah i mean it's a complicated situation do you remember when in the first um thing we recorded where we were talking about american horror story being like the most depraved sims house yeah this is it this is someone on sims who's who's figured out like a cheat that you type in or, or some sort of mod like they, they've added a mod the, the double daddy mod and <laughs> and and next episode someone's gonna drown in a pool because the pool ladder disappeared <laughs> it's the sort of depravity that only uh a teenage girl could come up while playing with the sims 
Like you think you know darkness, but then <laughs> find a teenage girl playing on The Sims, see what she's done, and then then you will see darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> this scene is very interesting. When Ben visits Vivian in the psychiatric hospital where she's been held, and he goes off in a very long speech when they're in this tiny room where she's been held and she's sort of on her side with her back turned to him and he's just basically telling her that he feels betrayed and will not lift a single finger to help her get out of that situation even though he has the power to. What did you make of it? I've, he's been waiting to, you know, I feel like this has been building up inside of him for every single episode until now. The chance to be like, well, you're also a bad person. So mm -hmm. like, that's what that speech feels like to me. It's someone who has gained this like sudden level of, of moral superiority. And so he's going to make the most of it right now in this long speech super vicious I thought but then we get this flashback to Ben and Hayden hanging out kind of at the start of their affair when he's her professor and she's a student and oh, I can't like if they were trying to design a scene that makes Ben fundamentally crass and unlikable and just basic like a basic boring middle-aged man who is going through a midlife crisis <laughs> yeah, he, he even does a air guitar solo and all he does is talk about how his wife doesn't like him to drink beer and how much he loves beer I like so visibly cringed when I was watching this I was like oh god Aiden why are you finding this guy attractive he's like literally the absolute worst yeah that's the thing is watching that scene and then knowing that Hayden is like still into it she's like mm, yeah you do that air guitar solo like she is inscrutable as a character <laughs> so I just don't understand why she makes any of the decisions that she makes Although she is, I think, really playing into the cool girl stereotype in this scene. Yeah. Like, you know, the Gillian Flynn, gone girl, cool girl vibe of like, oh, yeah, I'm the one you can really be yourself with because I'm just going to chug beer and eat fries and, you know, pretend like everything you do and say is the most amazing, hilarious thing anybody's ever done or said. But why again? Why is she? Why is she doing that? <laughs> I don't. I just. I just don't. Hayden, I don't know. What are you doing with your life? I don't know. You could do better. She really could. We go back again to Constance and Travis, and this is again, and I think a very strange turn for Constance because after she finds out that one of Vivian's babies is her grandchild she decides that the most logical course of action is to ask Travis to marry her 
so they can raise that baby together. I thoughts. I this makes sense to me because a big thing with Constance is that she feels like a failed mother because you know she had mm-hmm. Beauregard was she had him killed, Addie died, Tate also died and was a school shooter before that. So like she is presumably carrying a lot of guilt over what happened to those children. And so I would imagine that this idea, though frightening to her, in her brain it's like, finally I have the chance to do it right and not raise a child who mm. dies horribly. I can see that. That's a that's a very good point. Travis, though? Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in his, his little brain. <laughs> oh. Yeah, because his reaction to that um, quite awkward situation is to go back to the murder house and have sex with Hayden. Yeah, have sex with her and, and then also be like, I gotta, I gotta go because I'm getting married. <laughs> <laughs> After just having this giant speech to, to Constance about how he didn't want to get married because he wanted his modeling career. But one sex with Hayden later and he... <laughs> I guess like Hayden, I don't know, he's going to have sex with Hayden because like while having during the act of having sex with her, he's having time to like think over things a little bit. I'm guessing it's like his thinking time. And no offense to Hayden, but like maybe like comparatively, he's like, oh yeah, Const- Constance, maybe Constance is just like amazing at sex. Maybe. And so he's having sex with Hayden being like, nah, this isn't as good. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Back to Constance I go. I mean <laughs> Well, because it's literally like the second yeah. after. <laughs> he even tells her, like, oh, um, I gotta run. Can you like finish yourself off? Oh. Travis. We were so on your side and I feel like until this moment, and now that's really not a cool thing yeah. to say to a lady. So, um, understandably, Hayden murders him. Yeah. That is her way of finishing herself off. <laughs> yes. Um, and the ghost committee arrives. And Charles Montgomery comes swings by with uh, his great ideas. And Charles Montgomery's ideas usually involve cutting people into pieces. So they do a block dolly on Travis. Why do people keep listening to Charles Montgomery? <laughs> He's got, like, one contribution. Hey, what if we cut this person up? Well, it's the end of Travis. There are two more scenes that I think are quite important. And one of them is when Ben has a conversation with Luke. So he kind of calls Luke to the house under false pretenses to basically accuse him of having an affair with his wife. But Luke is amazing in the scene where he's like, excuse me, you've literally called your wife a whore and a liar in the last five minutes. So it's no wonder that she does not feel safe or comfortable with you. And maybe it was a good idea that she's in the hospital now because she gets to be away from you. And kind of leaves and has the moral upper hand and also just kind of has this very condescending look 
at Ben where he's like, you are just a very, very sorry man. And you've consistently hurt and disrespected this woman. This is like the show's moment of of being like, look, you got distracted by all these 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 cute, pathetic men. Because like we spent this whole podcast being like, oh, Ben. Oh. And then to have someone like Luke come in, like Luke's like the only good man. And he's coming in and he's saying, right. <laughs> take a yeah. look at yourself. Travis, take a look at yourself. Everybody, just take a look at yourself. And then he goes off to mm-hmm. be an excellent male feminist somewhere else. <laughs> yes. I appreciate him. <laughs> we appreciate Luke. And I appreciate the fact that he, his character, has a name at this point. He deserved it from the first moment. Yeah. That's his journey completed. I do, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we see him again. I don't know. But this could be a great send-off for Luke. We know that Ben has grown as a person because in his exchange with Moira... He actually, who, by the way, has not stopped trying to seduce him, including trying to organize a threesome with the Black Dahlia, with Elizabeth Short, which does not work. He finally sees her as she really is. Yeah, it's quite, it's a nice, yeah, it's quite a nice little moment. Because we only, it's it's so brief. It's just as she's leaving, Mm. she turns around and it's the real Moira. Francis Conroy yeah this episode ends on a banger because we get another expositional scene with Billy Dean and Constance Constance tells Billy Dean that she's going to be a grandmother because Tate is the father of one of Vivian's children and Billy Dean is like that's not possible because ghosts cannot father children like and i think she's got this great line where she's like spirits are not exactly virile and constance is like well i don't know what to tell you but this is this is what's going on and then the billy dean is like this is a really big deal and i'm gonna tell you why let me see you down for a history lesson (laughs) and so she starts talking about something called the pope's box which (laughs) i've literally never heard of before i don't know if it's real that there is this box that when uh, a new guy becomes Pope, they take him to this little room <laughs> and they put this little box in front of him. And then he opens the box and inside of the box is a little tiny piece of paper. And on that piece of paper is written the precise nature of the Antichrist and how the world will end. And even though this is a massive secret, somehow Billy Dean knows <laughs> that it is when a spirit has sex with a mortal person that will be bada bing bada bing antichrist (laughs) how does she know how does she if this is such a fuss that this is they put it in a tiny little box that only the pope can see as does billy d is billy dean friends with the pope i mean i've got two questions about the scene a exactly as you say why does billy dean know do her medium powers extend to also ancient paypal traditions the most important question is, why do we need to see a fake Pope take a little box with a tiny piece of paper inside? Like, why do we need that scene filmed? When you've got Sarah Paulson... I liked it. ...to describe... <laughs> like, Sarah Paulson could read 
the phone book not the phone books exist anymore but she could read the phone book or like the Argos catalog and I'd just sit there for three hours riveted so why do we need to cut away from beautiful hyper talented Sarah Paulson to see a bunch of old men open up a little box true I liked the drama of it because I think it really like expresses the levels of like right come into this little room come sit down at this little desk here's a little <laughs> box look inside the little box it's a little piece of paper inside the little box boom antichrist I'm really impressed that <laughs> Which I like, realize- <laughs> the antichrist and the end of times fits on basically a little paper the size of a post-it note <laughs> Yeah, like they don't show it on the show, but I imagine I imagine he opens the piece of paper. It just says like, "Ghost plus person, bang bang <laughs> equals antichrist." <laughs> and I what does the Pope do with that information? He just look at it and be like, "All right," folds the piece of paper back up, puts it back in the box, close the box, get up, leave the tiny desk, leave the room, and now he just has to sit so he sit around like thinking about ghosts and people having sex for the rest of his life. Well, I guess so. That's what I would do if I was Pope. It's like, oh, so do I do I yeah. ban all ghosts now? Is that how I prevent the end of times? Yeah, would the Pope not have a decree being like, hey, do I don't why is this information secret? Because I feel like the Pope should have a declaration saying everyone if you're thinking about having sex with a ghost, don't do it. It's going to make the Antichrist. So, heads up. Like, why does this information have to be secret? I also love the fact that Billy Dean specifies that it must be sex. Because she says, you know, the, a- the Immaculate Conception. Like, the angel just whispered in the Virgin Mary's ear. You know, obviously the devil is going to want a little more bang for his buck. <laughs> I was just like... Oh, yeah, the way she says that. Yeah. <laughs> She's so great. So great. Um, we'll get to talk more about Sarah Paulson at a, a, a later season and date. Oh, yeah. Because we're only getting our first, like, the, the aperitif version of Sarah Paulson right now. Oh, there's so much more to come. But, um, yeah, this is, this, is quite a, <laughs> this is quite a cliffhanger to end an episode on. Yeah, partially because it, it just kind of doesn't, it's just really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find it confusing? You're like, okay, Pope, Antichrist. I think the Pope bot, I don't know. Maybe I need to, I should have researched this, to be honest, before we recorded this episode. I don't, what it is, the Pope box a real thing? Well, it's a legend. Um, It's not confirmed, but there's quite a lot of legends around um, kind of the papacy. Is that how you pronounce it? It's a very strange word. Like, you know, like there's the legend of the female yes, Pope, yeah. Pope Joan. There's a whole bunch of kind of things that, you know, the secrets of the Vatican are set to contain. Are There is kind of this idea of the Pope, Pope's box and the room of tears or the crying room where they go to change after they're elected. That is a that is a real thing. But this kind of Pope's box is okay. a legend as far as we know. But it, it, it is based on something. So there's not a piece of paper that says ghost plus plus equals antichrist. Well, presumably not. The, it is said to contain the secret to the end of the world. I think that that whole scene actually gave higher stakes to the whole series. 
because now it's not just this family it's not just the harmons it's not just the house it's like oh my god the whole planet is involved like the antichrist and biblical ideas and you know there's a devil and there's a god and you know this sort of expands the murder house universe quite a lot because it's not just ghosts it's like this whole other set of ideas and one of my favorite types of uh, horror fiction is sort of the occult and the supernatural those types of narratives and when you're going into sort of quasi-religious iconography or playing around or going off on weird controversial conspiratorial tangents from um, established historical or kind of you know religious narratives I find that stuff really interesting so kind of when it took this turn into this direction at, you know in this last five minutes of the episode I was like oh here we go oh this is gonna be real fun because it you know it's a bigger universe now yeah, it's kind of interesting they suddenly, they go, okay, God exists, 100% exists in this universe. There's God and Jesus and Antichrist and they're all here now. Mm-hmm. It's like, that does really change the stakes. The next couple of episodes are going to be real fun. In the meantime, shall we do our sections? Yes. So do you have a top quote in this episode? I have a top quote, but it's because it reminds me of another quote that I love. Can I have okay. that? Yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. It's when um, Elizabeth Short says, all you need is that one person who believes in you, which immediately, (laughs) there could be a hundred people in a room and 99 don't believe in you, but one believes in you at that change. Like, Lady Gaga! And that connects, because obviously Lady Gaga comes in later, so that's that's where she got the line. That's so brilliant! I love it! Oh my god. <laughs> that was a really bad Lady Gaga impression. I'm really sorry, everybody. <laughs> but you oh get the gist. <laughs> That's so good. Um mine oh my god, mine now seems silly, but um no, no, no. my favorite quote is by Charles Montgomery, who <laughs> is being super helpful and you know, cutting up Elizabeth short. And Dr. Dennis, the dentist, is like I think you went a little bit overboard there, ghost pal. And Charles just without taking his hat like his eyes off of his work just says a writer writes and a surgeon cuts. That is a great line. <laughs> I just love the delivery of it. It's just like, you know, bless him. He's got a calling. It reminds me of all the sort of like semi nine have you ever played Bioshock? No, but you're not the first person to tell me to play Bioshock. I have to play Bioshock. Well, just because the game Bioshock is filled with this sort of semi-nonsensical declarations. I don't know. It just sounds like something you'd hear in that game. Like, a rider writes and a surgeon cuts. And a man is not a slave. <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that. I did, yeah, I like those sort of... Mm. They, they, it's people trying to be sound deep and philosophical, but just you actually think about the meaning of what they've just said and it just doesn't actually mean anything (laughs) (laughs) do we have a naked man moment of the episode no not really you saw a lot of elizabeth shorts like underwear butt i noticed that but not really any naked men yeah butts are in for insensitive historical episode of the series as well (laughs) 
um what would you say is uh, your mvp of the episode i feel like i want to give at least i feel from the past two episodes hayden has really been making a lot of power moves and i feel like she's just mm-hmm. just like the master of blackmail at this point i don't know is that a good i feel maybe that's not a good answer what what, what do you think i i kind of agree with you she is very blackmailer at this point but she's too chaotic i think to be a master of yeah. it yeah i was going to say luke oh yeah yeah luke he says this piece to ben and he like leaves and he's not frazzled by this man and his ridiculous drama so he's like get out of my face i'm doing my job and yeah of course your wife wants me because you treat her like shit get it together man and leaves yeah correct that is the correct answer go luke (laughs) (laughs) i feel like we've spoken a lot about insensitive historical references maybe instead of insensitive this week it's like nonsensical historical reference of the week yes is this the the pope's box yes <laughs> i think it is well, yeah did you have any others no just the pope's box <laughs> black dahlia and the pope's box it's quite a combination of different historical things you know black dahlia it's a good it's a good episode Pope for that <laughs> Maybe the Pope is the MVP of the episode. The Antichrist. The Antichrist. <laughs> a lot going on. He's really drawing from like every <laughs> source he can. What can we expect from the next episode? In the next episode, Violet learns about the rules of the house and the truth about Larry's condition is explained. We'll be back next Wednesday dissecting another episode of American Horror Story Murder House. In the meantime... Send us your thoughts on Twitter. I am at Clarice Lou. I am on Anime Demented.